Great. Well, I have about 20 minutes, so let me just cut straight to the chase and address the elephant in the room. On first reading, when you read that just now, it seems like God killed Ananias and Sapphira. And on second reading, it's clear he definitely did. And so the question we need to ask as we see them as part of this early church community doing something that, yes, wasn't great, but you may have looked at it and gone, I could have done something like that. Maybe you have. So similar to what we may do. We have to ask, what did, why did they die and we don't? Why did they die and we don't? As you've read that, you've probably, if you're like me, found that a little bit uncomfortable to see God like that. And I think it's really important that we feel like that. God is not like us. And that's a really important thing to remember, isn't it? God is not like us. He is perfectly good. He is perfectly right and he is perfectly loving. And so when we come to this passage, it should challenge us. It should make us think instead of a bit straighter. It should cause us to consider what our view of God is. Is it the Bible's view of God? So firstly, let's dive straight. What was the problem? What was the issue? What did Ananias and Sapphira do? Were they just a little bit greedy? Did they love money a little bit too much? Was that the issue? Well, yes, in some ways, but, but no, the hint is in the verses before chapter five, the end of chapter four, as we see this wonderful picture of what this early church was like before it's smashed to smithereens and seems a lot more like the reality we know of in the church. Four verses 32, 36. What do we see here? We see a man called Joseph. And fundamentally what we see is a man called Joseph given a very cool nickname. Nicknames can stick, can't they? Uh, If you've ever got one, you want a good one, don't you? Uh, I used to be known as Weedy Johnny. Not a good nickname. Not one I was happy with. And one which stuck throughout school. How my year four teacher got away with calling me that, I do not know. But here, this man Joseph was given a good nickname. Son of encouragement. You'd want to be called that, wouldn't you? It's a decent nickname, that Barnabas, as he's now known. So Ananias and Sapphira, um, they're part of this early church. They'd seen this man Barnabas impacted by the gospel Barnabas. He was living in one heart and one mind with the other believers. And he chose to sell a field that he owned. And he chose to give the money to the apostles and for them to distribute it to those in need. People were doing this. It was a, a common reaction to responding to the gospel. It seems like Barnabas was a top bloke. And again and again, we're going to see him, you see him throughout Acts, throughout Paul's letters. He seems to be a mature, loving, kind man. It's a man to aspire to, Barnabas. And the people have recognised that and acknowledged him as a real encouragement to the church. It's a wonderful thing to give encouragement to each other, isn't it? And they've encouraged him by calling him the son of encouragement. And it seems that the issue for Ananias and Sapphira is they wanted to be like Barnabas. They wanted to be recognised as Barnabas was recognised. They wanted to be in the in crowd to receive praise, to receive recognition. They wanted to be known. They wanted to be loved. They wanted to be respected. But they weren't as generous as Barnabas and so they compromised. They wanted the praise but didn't want to give up all of their money. They wanted to be known as people who had given up all their money and yet not give it all up. Let's be really clear. If you look down in verse 4, so let's let Peter be really clear here. He makes it clear that Ananias and Sapphira, as part of the early church, had total freedom to do what they wanted with the money from the property that they had. 
Our response to the gospel is one of total freedom. We do not need to earn favour. We do not need to do certain things to be loved by God or accepted as part of his community. The Christian is free. It's a free response here. They could have come to Peter and said, oh, we've sold some of this property. We've sold some of this property and we'd like to give you part of the money, Peter. We'd like to lay some of that at your feet. Um, but we're going to keep some of it for our own needs as well. We're going to bank that away for a rainy day, maybe. And Peter, I'm sure, would have gone, great, thank you so much for your generosity. That would have been a perfectly valid thing for Ananias and Sapphira to do. They could have even kept the property, kept all the money. They, they were free. Peter makes that very clear in verse 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposable disposal? So the issue wasn't that they gave some of the money. The issue was that they lied about it. And Peter makes it clear here they were claiming to have given all the money. They were claiming before us. They're obviously bragging about it to others. Look, we've just sold this field. We've given all the money to the church. And that wasn't true. They lied to men. And Peter makes it clear then that they lied to God, who sees all our actions and all our thoughts. They were what we would call hypocrites. So their main issue, really, and this is where it gets really relevant to us here. Acts is beautifully written isn't it it's given to us by God as a book to help us and it's relevant to us now their main issue really and this is where it, it, the nub hits the bone is that they wanted to be liked and we all want to be liked don't we we all want to be respected we all want to be in the in crowd we just see that now look at social media what is the currency of social media likes if you've got whatsapp you look for those two blue ticks you get those two blue ticks and then you wonder, why have they replied to me yet? Do they not like me? We long to be liked. And when it comes to church, when it comes to our spiritual life, we want people to think we're more godly than we are. And this is what Ananias and Sapphira wanted. They wanted to be on the inside, maybe. We don't quite know their motives. They definitely wanted recognition. Maybe they wanted power to be in positions of authority. And in many ways, we all do this. Ironically, we all put on masks. We're not honest. We exaggerate. And so the challenge here is we look at Ananias as far as we learn the lessons here is to be a people who are honest, who don't deceive ourselves and others because God knows it all anyway. Hypocrisy flourishes in two main circumstances. This is where it will flourish in a church. It'll flourish when the gospel isn't preached consistently, both publicly and to ourselves, and it will flourish when there's no grace in our community. Firstly, it flourishes when the gospel isn't preached consistently. Because you see the whole message of Jesus, let me make this so clear. The whole message of Jesus is it's okay to not be okay. He literally came and died on the cross for our sin. It's literally what he did for our rebellion. Against God. We just sung about it gloriously, haven't we? That is his message. And then when we go on living life pretending like we're now totally sorted, or we were totally sorted, then the truth is anything but. That's hypocrisy. And what leads people out of hypocrisy, what would have helped Ananias and Sapphira is an ongoing reminder that they need grace. That they don't need to have any secrets. That God already knows everything about them. That sanctification, that becoming more like him is an ongoing process. Hypocrisy is so dangerous. And so if you're anything like me, this passage scares me. Because I see myself in it. I try and self-justify all of the time. I maybe exaggerate, maybe even downright lie if someone asks me about my prayer life. 
while I'm reading the Bible at the moment. Or maybe I do it through my actions. Maybe I pretend that I don't struggle with sin every day. Maybe I come to church and I'm not willing to articulate or admit that I sometimes have doubts, that I struggle. This passage should be a challenge to us to remind us that it's okay to doubt and to struggle. It's normal. It's the normal human experience. The Bible makes that clear. We don't need to put on a front. It's deadly for a church to be full of people putting on masks. Let these masks, when we take these off, hopefully, in the next few months, let them be a reminder to us that they're not a good thing. We shouldn't be in church putting on masks. To live in hypocrisy is to forget that God has met us where we are, that we're all in the muck, that we're all being sanctified, and we're all going to be asking for God's help every single day. We're all in this together. We're called, we see it throughout the Bible, to daily confess our sins and repent. Hourly, daily. So we need to keep preaching the gospel of grace to ourselves, what we just sang about just now. We need to stop being a people who put on front. If you're anything like me, I know I do it. It's a challenge to us not to do it. Putting on masks which pretend we don't sin, which pretend everything is okay all of the time. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there and not do anything about it, to not come to Jesus with it, not come to our church family and friends with it. We need to keep reminding each other. We need grace every day for Ananias and Sapphira. I, I don't know what they were hearing and what was going on, but they obviously did not grasp the gospel of grace in some way. They felt they needed recognition to be in the in crowd. They felt they needed recognition maybe to be loved by God, forgetting that he knew exactly what was going on in their hearts. The second reason hypocrisy flourishes in church, and it does in any church. I'm sorry to burst that bubble if you're new to church and you think maybe you've only been around a month. You know, this is great. It is great. Praise the Lord, but it's also hard at times. Hypocrisy flourishes because we're unwilling to have the type of relationships that expose where we're blind. I wonder, do you have one person, maybe a person apart from your spouse, it's great if it's your spouse, but apart from your spouse who knows you, who truly knows you, knows your weaknesses, your struggles, your temptations, who knows you, from whom you have no secrets, who you trust because they get the gospel of grace like you do. Someone to whom you can reveal what is truly going on in your heart. We need relationships like this to guard us against hypocrisy. One or two people who we're totally honest and open with, vulnerable with. Growth groups at Town Church may be that place. They may not be, but they may be that place where you can build strong friendships of honesty and openness. Proverbs 27 tells us that iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. I've never sharpened iron, but when you do, sparks fly. It's hammers, it's banging of hammers, it's moulding iron, it's not, it's not comfortable necessarily. But I wonder whether we could be a church where we feel this because we get the gospel, where we get our need for daily repentance because we daily sin, where we get that what is true for me is true for you, that we need Jesus. And so we can have real honest relationships which go, look, I'm struggling at the moment. Finding this hard. Hebrews 3.13 says, Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I know I need this in my life. Over the years, I've really appreciated having as a good friend of mine who knows me. I think he does know me like this. It's been a challenge for me to reignite a bit of that relationship as well, prepping this. He asked me the questions I don't want to be asked. I can go to him and say, mate, Show me what I don't see. Tell me sin you are seeing in my life. Help me. 
Someone who can tell me the truth, who can remind me of the gospel of grace when I'm just trying to perform, when I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not. Without relationships, without a church culture where we can be honest with each other, we're all in such danger of hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira are the poster boy and girl of the danger of hypocrisy. And they show us how much God hates it in his church, how dangerous it is, how damaging it is for unity. So back to the story. Why do we think God hates this so much? And we see it in his response, doesn't he? He, They die. They're killed instantly. That doesn't happen normatively. So why does he hate it so much? I wonder, do you remember growing up, maybe you played this game, I'm the king of the castle. Anyone play the game, I'm the king of the castle? You want to get higher and higher and higher until eventually you're basically the highest you can get. Nobody else can get higher than you. You keep getting higher. And what do you say to the losers? I'm the king of the castle. You're the... Dirty rascal. I'm the king of a castle. You're the dirty rascal. The reminder here is that we're all in danger of playing this game. Wanting to be the king of a castle in the lives we live. And the Bible reminds us, as we've seen, that we're all dirty, rotten rascals. But why does God get so cross at this game we play? Well, back to chapter 4 we end of chapter 4 because it ruins his work of unity in the church acts 4 32 we see the believers were all of one heart and one mind in one heart and one mind which says that jesus was the most important thing the best thing everything else was second nothing came close to them but jesus that was the aim that's how they were living at that time and this is what he wants his church to be like full of people who say jesus is number one me saying i'm the king of a castle means i'm saying that he's not i am If I'm trying to be the king of a castle, it means I'm not going to try and help you become more like Jesus because I want to be the king. I'm not going to try and help you because I want to be the king. I'm not going to serve you and love you and care for you sacrificially because I want to be the king. It may mean that I don't talk about Jesus with others because I just want to talk about myself. I'm the king of a castle kills unity, hypocrisy. What Ananias and Sapphira were doing here, trying to trump themselves up and get recognition kills unity which kills our witness to the watching world of a, of a church which is radical this is radical when you look around it different countries different backgrounds different areas we've all come from united together singing praises in a car parking vista that is bizarre what a wonderful witness to the watching world of the uniting power of the gospel and god really hates it when we are disunited and we see that in verse three that this is the devil's work in the church. The devil tries to go against everything God wants to do. He's trying to disunite us, to keep us playing this game every day, to keep us putting on these masks and these fronts, not willing to be honest, not willing to be open, not willing to just be in a, in a, a relationship of unity, of, of equity, where we understand that we are all in the same boat together, needing just to cling to Jesus. So then we come back to this key question of, hopefully you're asking, why did Ananias and Sapphira die and we don't? Because if you look honestly in your own heart, you go, I'm like them. So often I'm like them. It's been said that every church would come with a mortuary attached if it wasn't for God's grace. And we see that here. Some people like to say that Ananias and Sapphira died because they weren't Christians, which kind of lets us off a hook here potentially. But it seems to be clear and reading the commentaries, I think it's pretty clear that they were part of a church community, that maybe young Christians who 
Like I know I do so much, listen to the devil's lies in their ear, persuading them to compromise. And yet when their sin was exposed, God killed them. I say it seems clear they're Christians because what Peter says in verse three, he says they lied to the Holy Spirit. Something which they could only really do if they had the spirit in them, if they were trusting in Christ. So it wasn't because they weren't Christians necessarily. That's not why they died. So why are they dead and I'm alive even when God hates what I do? Well, I think it's not because of what they did. It's because of when they did it. So hang on. And this is a little bit more technical. but I think it's important to help us understand why this story is, is where it is. It's not because of what they did necessarily, but when they did it. You see in verse 2. It says they kept back part of the money. They kept back part of the money. And that exact phrasing is only used twice in the whole Bible. The whole Bible. The other time it's used is at the start of establishing the Israelite nation in Joshua 7. The Old Testament written in Hebrew, but the Greek word is exactly the same, held back. And the start of the nation, uh, the Israelites were, were plundering towns who weren't following God around them. And this man called Achan, the sin of Achan, I encourage you to read it, Joshua 7. Achan, he kept plunder for himself. He didn't share it with one another. There was no unity amongst him, Achan. He kept it for himself, hid it from Joshua, and God's judgment was that he killed him as a warning, as a warning. And in both cases here, we see Ananias and Sapphira and Achan. In both cases, the start of these important communities, the Israelite nation and the church, God struck a real warning. The when is key here. At the start of a church, it was so important for God to protect it as it began to grow. And so Ananias and Sapphira were killed as a serious warning to them. And we see that. We see that. There's great fear seized the whole church. People were unwilling to be part of a church. No one else dared join them, it says in verse 13, even though they're highly regarded by the people. There's a fear around God. And we'll see in a minute that's a healthy thing. Lying to God is dangerous to the mission of the church. And so that's why Ananias and Sapphira were killed. The destruction caused by spiritual hypocrisy, spiritual pretense, is clearly far more damaging than we realise. I think we've seen glimpses of it, haven't we, if you followed any of the news around the church. And in some ways we're just seeing it more now because there's more news. It's always been present. This passage should scare us. You saw that response, verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about this events. It should cause us to once again go, God, you are not like us. Help me to understand who you are and what you care about. And my prayer, I hope, is that it does have the same impact for us today. I know it has for me in the last week or so as I've looked at it and looked at my life. This isn't a cuddly, cute Bible story. It's something you normally would not have learnt in Sunday school growing up. I'm so thankful that Junior Church is doing it this morning. It's really important. So as I close, here's three quick lessons for us to learn as we look at this story together. Firstly, we should fear God and not mess around with him. We should fear God and not mess around with him. The Christian life is not just Sunday afternoons when we're in our small groups. It's all of life. And God knows it all. He knows what you do on a Monday morning at work. He knows what you do on a Sunday evening at night on your own. He knows all of our life. So let's take it seriously. Let's take God seriously. Let's take our sin seriously. It's where people who take our sin seriously. Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We fear God. We tremble before him because he's different to us. That is a good thing. He is pure love. 
his pure goodness, his pure holiness. And rightly, we should stand in awe before God and long to honour him with all our lives. We can sometimes be too quick, potentially, to go to the wonderful truth of God's father heart. It's a wonderful truth. There's a danger if we spend all our time there. We forget to see him as God who is holy and different to us. We need to be a people who don't toy with God, who don't toy with our faith. Secondly, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Let's be a people who do that in our home groups, in our growth groups, in our friendship groups, whatever it might be. To guard against hypocrisy, we need to keep reminding ourselves that God alone is king of the castle. That all of us in the same boat, united together without him, are dirty rascals in need of a saviour. And he has delivered. Jesus came for sinners like Ananias and Sapphira. He came for sinners like me and like you. He hates my sin. He hates your sin. My rebellion against him. And so he should just kill me. And punish me forever. But, and don't not hear the but in the warnings of this passage. But he loves us so much. So clear in scripture. His love for us is so rich. He loves us so much that he came and took the blame and died in our place. He came to the punishment we deserve. It's because of his love for us. We should all be in the same position as Ananias and Sapphira. We can be too quick to ignore a right fear and reverence of God and skip straight to praising him for Jesus. And we're going to do that in communion. We're going to rightly stop in a minute and praise him for the fact that he sent Jesus. But we can be too quick to go there, as I've said. So we need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves, keep reminding ourselves as communion is going to do that for us, reminding us that we deserve death like Ananias and Sapphira. And yet Jesus came and died for us. And let's keep preaching that to one another. The church needs to be a safe place for sinners like you and me. It needs to be a place where we live in grace to one another, where we have relationships where we can challenge each other as Peter did here. But where we feel safe enough to answer differently to Ananias and Sapphira answered where maybe we have been covering something up we should be honest enough to go yeah actually let me tell you what life's really like at the moment can you pray for me can you help me can you point me towards truths in scripture to help me those are the relationships we want which will be a richness to our church if we're like that where we're a place where we're not trying to compete with one another because we recognise we're all dirty rascals. That no one here is more special, more important, more gifted than anyone else. That will lead to the one heart and mind unity where Christ is number one and we're not striving for that ourselves. So we need to fear God rightly. We need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves regularly. And we need to guard against all deception and lying. And I'm rightly ending on this slightly potentially sour note, but I think that's the strong warning here. We need to be a people who put away all falsehood and lying, all exaggeration. God cares about truth greatly. So parents, if you're a parent in here today, let's be ruthless with that with our children. Don't tolerate them deviating from truth little white lie here and there quickly becomes bigger. The body, the church, needs to be a place of truth. And let's guard that in our own hearts. We so quickly deceive ourselves, don't we? You're never going to grow in your knowledge of the word of God if you pretend you already know it and become too proud to seek help for it. 
You're never going to walk in victory over your wrestle with lust if you pretend you don't have an issue with it. You're never going to grow in boldness in evangelism if you keep pretending you're bold when you're not. You're never going to develop a robust prayer life if you keep pretending you have one when you don't. It becomes a necessity that we're honest, that we say we need help, we're honest with ourselves. So friends, let's repent of pretending we're more than we are because we don't need to be more than we are because Christ is everything. Peter said here, Dan, nice and Safari, you lied to God. Let's remember that. That's who our offence is against, for lying and pretending to be more than we are. Maybe it fools us here in the building, but it definitely doesn't fool God. So let's be a people who repent, who come to Jesus, who came because we are dirty rascals. He is our king. He is our Lord. We're going to do that as we share communion in a minute, but let me pray. Then we're going to respond in song and share the Lord's Supper together. Father God, we thank you for scripture. Thank you for this true account in your word, which is given as a, as a warning to us and is given as an encouragement to us. Help us now listen to what you, by your spirit, want to say to us, where we need to be encouraged, encourage us, we need to be challenged, challenged us. Lord, help us to be a people who rest in your grace, who live in light of your grace in our relationships, Lord, who don't strive for one-upmanship everywhere, who don't look for recognition where we already are loved by the King of all kings. Help us to be people who now who will repent where we need to repent. Lord, do your work whatever that needs to be today. Amen. We're going to sing, or not, we're going to listen. But feel free to mouth the words, probably even speak the words legally. I think that'll be fine. But reflect on these words and meditate now as we uh, listen to Chris and Josh, uh, Behold Our God.